0: Kim wanted to come with me, and I tried to explain her. I said, honey, you wouldn't like it, and of course not. She'd love this church family. You are what we have been aching for. Um, we were at a church for 21 years, and uh, we just felt our time was done. And this was three and a half years ago, so trying to find home again is very, very hard. Yeah. So we've been going to another church, but it just doesn't feel like home. So when Kim and I pace around the church, the, our house, we call it "Pace and Pray." I just keep telling the Lord, "Lord, I want to go home. I want to go home." And um, doesn't mean anything's wrong with the church we're at, where we've been going to. But you know, and I don't want—I don't mean heaven. Um, there's there's too much work to do down here. But um, so I, she would love the church family, but I. The church is gracious every time I come to let me stay in the worship office, which I asked for. They'd happily put me in a hotel, but it helps me focus, and um, which, if you know me, yep, Gert, good idea. And um, it really does, so I appreciate it. Love coming here. Um, Father, thank you so much for, um, even Lord, when I feel like I messed up, this, your church family here is so kind and encouraging, and more just aching and longing, Lord, to, um, Father, to see you just do what you do um, with your precious word and spirit and your unfailing love to your people, uh, what you've done to me in delving again and again and again uh, in this text uh, for 20 years, Lord, and it still operates on me and draws me to you and makes me sorry for putting things in place of you. Um, so Lord, I just if you would do that with your people this morning. In your love for them, Lord, and jealous love for them, I would be grateful. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. In your precious name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, two years ago, I had learned about, while studying in a theology book, this was just a an aside that, the, that this theologian's name was William G.T. Shedd from the 19th century. And... Um, he just told a story about this woman whose name was Frances Kemble Butler. And um, every time I've read this quote or shared it with others, it just smites me. And, and I, it could be used for almost any message that we give. And she was on a vessel at night, I don't know if it was at night. She was on a vessel in a very bad storm. And it was the storm was so severe that she really believed she was going to die at any moment. And she said at that time when she thought that death was impending, Um, she saw her whole life flash before her in a second. And she said it it was not a procession. In other words, she didn't like see her childhood first, then teenage years, young adults, and adulthood. She saw her whole life in a second, basically in one moment of time. And she said immediately after she saw her life like that, she said she was immediately hit with a sense of loss and waste. It's a terrifying thing. When I ponder how many people waste their lives. Waste their lives. There's not an adult in the room when we stand before Jesus and we all will have a turn, one at a time. Eternity is a long time. But Gert, you're talking about billions of people will take one. A- yep, eternity is very long. But there's not one of us who will say, oh, I wish I would have. I mean, Lord, I, I forfeited time and usefulness with you for that? And the thing that's tearing me to pieces these days, personally, because with, with, I've been working in some kind of camp ministry for 41 years, work or ministry for 41 years, and it just tears me to pieces when I see uh, young people who were, they joined arms with you, and other kids or teens or whatever, they went to the house of God, in the presence of God, uh, getting just stuffed with the word of God and the, and the Spirit of God was moving, and they're not here anymore. It just, it just does something to me I can't even describe. And then I think of how many little boys and girls who were in kids' church with me decades ago, and then I see, oh, my father, my father, my father, their teenage years and their young adult years, they're not pursuing him anymore. And let's just say the Lord, in his, if they know God, let's just say that the Lord, of course, he's the good shepherd and the faithful one. He, sooner or later, will get them, he will. He doesn't lose any that the Father gives him. But the thing that still tears me to pieces, and I, and I told Kim as we were pacing and praying Friday night around the home, praying for our time together, you can never get those years back. That's what kills me. They wasted their teen years, their young adult years when you have so much independence, so to speak, uh, from burdens and responsibilities of life and energy and health, and they spend it on the world. And you can never go back and get it back. That's what just kills me, tears me to pieces. So anyway, why do we, and so anyway, forgive me. So for instance, she saw her whole life in loss and waste. And she said she was so overwhelmingly full of despair. And then she said in the same moment, she said she saw the religious training and instruction she had received during her life. And she said at that moment when she thought she was going to die, that was her only important concern, was the religious instruction she got her entire life. Most of what she said was a loss and waste. When you're about to die, that's the only thing that matters. And how do I get wisdom as a kid or a teen is to live that way now. Not waiting till the point of your death. That's wisdom. And many don't get it. But the only thing, Lord, that matters my whole life is the instruction about you I receive. But what do we, we set it aside for so many things that glitter but aren't gold. Oh God, it hurts. I'm just, I'm preaching myself into sadness because, ah, that's why we're here. Religious instruction in the good sense. That's why you're here. You know, It's the only thing that matters. When people are on their deathbeds, they don't want a comic book or a TV show. They want to know where they're going and what do it? You see, that's wisdom. So we also... Why, why do we gather here every Sunday and we go to this book that's thousands of years old? We need to all bring our devices and get online and get revelant and current. Don't waste your time. of what's online is going to be smashed against the anvil of the Word of God. This is the only thing. The Word of God is the only thing that's inspired. I don't know where mine is. Thank you. It's the only thing in the universe. Every single word. And Jesus, John Murray, one of my favorite theologians, uh, he said that Jesus embraced Jot and tittle inspiration. What does that mean? That Jesus said, basically, every dot of an I and cross of a T is inspired by the spirit of God. Not like the liberals, well, some of it is, but you gotta weed out the stuff that, it... no, 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 no. Jesus said every jot and tittle of the law will nowise pass. Jot and tittle inspiration, that's full gospel center. You know, if it isn't, if it isn't, you're in danger. Oh, we're the red-letter Christians. Oh, really? Really? You have a very weak understanding of the Trinity then. We only get into Jesus's words. So you're saying that the Holy Spirit isn't equal to Jesus and the Father, the Holy Spirit who inspired the other parts that Jesus didn't say. You see how it falls apart? See, no, we're the red-letter church. Well, have a nice time. I ain't interested. No, every word in here is inspired. Why do we come to it? Why do we come to the text? As I said, it's inspired. And every single tweet and text and email and podcast and YouTube video, every single one is going to have a head-on collision with the Word of God one day. Every single one of them, boom! And any part of it at all, any syllable, any word, any letter, any ta- anything that doesn't agree with that is shattered and burned. That's why we come to this text every Sunday. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. When everything else falls apart, the only thing left standing, oh, my dear, Jesus' words. There they are. You see? Now, why is another reason we come? And why do we always go to this ancient book? Again, it's inspired, but Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, these things were written for our instruction. These were written down for our instruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says, these things, and oh my dear, the stuff that happened, he's talking about the context, the Israelites, all the tragic, disastrous things and judgments of God that happened to them because they rebelled against the Lord and were unfaithful and apostatized. It says, these things happened to them as an example. For who? And were written down for our instruction, upon whom The end of the ages has come. That's why we go to this text. 2 Peter 2, verse 6 says that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes. Some of the most sobering words in the Bible. And yet, just like the men of Lot's day trying to bang down his door, they keep trying to bang down our door. They want in the church, and I want us to embrace. Nope. Reduce them to ashes. Watch now. To serve as an example for those who would live ungodly lives like theirs thereafter. That's why we go to the text. Now, so what? What does the word God do for us? So when we hear the Word of God or we read it, you've got to have hearing protection because you know, you know your heart is like a greased watermelon uh, in, in, a swing, in a swimming pool. I, I've heard that, ga- that game they did at camp where you a bunch of teens in the pool and you throw it a watermelon with Crisco all over it and the object of the game is to hold on to it but it goes, walk, walk, walk. it just keeps squirting out, popping out because it's greased. And in a sense, that's what our hearts do to the Word of the Lord. Always letting it go. Nothing wrong with the word of the Lord, but it's us. Hearing protection required. And what happens, Michael, if we don't heed what we hear and read? There's an open pit. And there's not a soul in Hades right now, Luke chapter 16, who isn't begging for water, who isn't wishing that someone could go, uh, that's on the surface of the earth still and not down in Hades, uh, that they could go warn their family. There's an open pit, beloved. And whether we go there or not depends on what we do with what we hear and read. That's why we come and go to this ancient book every, every week. Now, we're going to study based on that. So, okay, thank you, Lord. This text was written for our example, okay. And we're going to read a, a person from the past because we want to, like you said, Lord, his life was recorded like ours is being recorded. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books. Revelation 20, 12. So sinners, their lives are recorded. Every single sin, both number of sins, degree of sin, and how many times they sin by rejecting light, everything's being recorded. For saints, our lives are being recorded with what we did with what he gave us and how much we yielded to him and pursued him. It will determine on that great day You're saved by grace, you're judged by works. Is that how much reward you get or don't get? So I'm being recorded by heaven right now, not just FGC, why? Because teachers will bear more weight of judgment because they're they're teaching. So I will hear this sermon again and how much of Michael was in it or how much did he strive by God's grace to glorify the Lord? that when everyone leaves here, they're talking about Jesus and not me. That's what I want, you see. So these are serious, heavy things, beloved. This isn't a game we're in. It isn't a club. You see, we're a gathering of God's chosen people, precious to him, purchased with the blood of his own son. So what he has to say is very, very important. That's why we come. King Josiah, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was, became king when he was eight years old. I wouldn't trust an eight-year-old to clean his room. <laughs> and here he is leading a nation. What was surrounding Josiah that he could be a king and reign for 31 years in Jerusalem? What do our presidents have? They have a cabinet. They're surrounded by tons of people because there's no way in the world that a president could run a country on his own. And you'll notice there's a phenomenon out that you've probably seen it many times, the aging of a president. They'll show you a picture of him when he took office and how how gray his hair is four or eight years later because of the stress and the pressure on a daily basis of what he goes through. So imagine, beloved, an eight-year-old running a nation. But yet, King Josiah, eight years old, he becomes king. So you know what that meant? That meant that anything he wanted, he got. Amen. Come on, he's the king, right? So, so when was the last time you saw a kid get whatever he wanted, and he was an absolute angel? (laughs) Right? It spoils them, and they get arrogant and bossy and disrespectful. But and it's an amazing thing; it didn't happen with him. We're going to find out why. There are four stages in a young person's life, and and you. There, there's only one that all of you go to whether you, to whether you want to or not. It's, it's, it's not mandatory. It's just, it just happens. You can't avoid it. But the last three are all optional. If you do stage two, three and four happen automatically, like a domino effect. But everyone, all of us at one time went through stage one. And we're going to talk about the four stages uh, uh, that a person can go through, but that everyone goes through stage one based on Josiah's life. So he became king when he was eight years old. Now watch now. And he did what was right. Are they on? Yeah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth. <laughs> Constantly watching everything. I think one version says, the eyes of the Lord. And who's he looking for? Does that text say? People that he can do exploits through. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth. But it's not finished. Then it says in Proverbs. Chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. It gets closer. Then it says, Proverbs 15, 11, Behold, Sheol, and we know what Sheol is down in the center of the earth where uh, Old Testament people went when they died. And there were two different compartments in Sheol. But Sheol and Abaddon, which is a name for the place where, where they went to suffer. Sheol and Abaddon, can you imagine how terrifying they were? They are that they hold billions of souls. It says they lie open before the Lord. He sees everything But then it says, how much more the hearts of men. If he can see all of the inhabitants and everything that's happening in Sheol and Abaddon, how much more does he see everything that happens in the hearts of men? One scholar scholar said that God not only sees what you do, he sees what you think. He sees what you think before it comes to you for a sinner that should terrify them for a saint comforting now hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 everything is naked and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account he sees through you like you're you're this visible man and then it says this is the miracle of miracles that it says josiah did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. You know, it's very, very easy to fool people. You can do what's pleasing in the eyes of people, but you don't fool the Lord. How many of you you are anywhere close to my age and you remember Leave it to Beaver? All right, remember Eddie Haskell. Eddie Haskell did what was right in the eyes. He always was the perfect gentleman in front of Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, but as soon as they were gone, he was a creep, you see? And that's, you can fool people like Eddie Haskell did, though the Cleavers were onto him, but you can't fool the Lord. And so, and this is what's amazing. It says that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, here's the miracle about that. He already, um, we know from Psalm 51.5 that Josiah, like the rest of us, was conceived with a sinful, fallen human nature that was hostile to God by nature, by default. Everything about God, our human nature hates. It's against. Galatians 5, all the works of the flesh, they're against, they oppose the things of the Spirit. So imagine what we were when we were conceived where well, we didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Everything was against him. And Josiah was like everybody else. He, he he received that nature. But then what else does it say? It says in Proverbs 22, it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. What is foolishness? Well, you mean they're funny and giddy and have good senses of humor? No. In Proverbs, foolishness means that you know the difference between good and evil, but you choose evil though you know what the good is. That's a fool. And it says that's bound up in children's hearts. But then it says also in Proverbs 22 that a child who is left to itself, brings its mother shame. Kevin McAllister, Home Alone. Soon as he realizes his parents disappeared and were gone, first thing he starts doing, watching angels with filthy souls, eating all the ice cream instead of good food. You know, looking at his, he looked at his brother Buzz's dirty magazine and it, instantly, you see. That's why God gives children parents. Parents are a, an oil filter to the kids. They're supposed to be. What's an oil filter? You know what it is, it screws on the side of the engine or underneath it. The oil runs through the engine to keep it running smoothly. But through time, you get set particles and sediment. If you don't get them out of the engine, the engine, sooner or later, dies. So you see, the kid has a Fram oil filter screwed on the side of him. It's their parents. Their parents, believe it or not, most kids don't get this, that their parents have lived a lot longer than them and have gone through what they've gone through, you see. And it's God's ordination that they have parents, or if you don't have a course to live with your parents, for whatever reason, guardians, someone is there caring for you. See, see, it says, now watch, stage one, Josiah was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, now watch, by walking in the ways of his father. Well, we have one more issue. This is what makes the odds against Josiah pleasing the Lord, like the scripture says, uh, the odds are against him. His fa- grandfather, Manasseh, was the most evil king in Judah's history. He introduced so much vile abominations, burning his own children in the fire to pagan gods, idols everywhere. He was the supreme epitome of wickedness. That was Josiah's grandfather. The most respected man in my life in the Lord. Um, Paul Johansson, used to be the president of Elam. He, he said that his, he was, how do I say this? His grandfather had a bigger influence on his life spiritually than his dad. He loved his dad. His dad loved the Lord. There was something about his grandfather that really influenced Brother Joe. So you see, but think about having a grandfather like Manasseh. And so what happened? Manasseh, hallelujah, he repented. It's a, and one of the biggest miracles of grace in the whole Bible, and many of us aren't really that aware of it. It's amazing. God forgave him after he disciplined him and punished him. And that sister who brought the, the word of the Lord today about discipline is not at the season pleasant, Well, one of the greatest acts of God's mercy of discipline was King Manasseh. But anyway, Manasseh was vile. He led the Israelites into more sin than the pagan nations around them. That was Josiah's grandfather. But then what happened? He repented. Hallelujah. The Lord received him. And then Ammon became, Manasseh's son became king. Well, Ammon went back to all the things that his father had done. Idols everywhere. And Ammon, it says he increased guilt. He multiplied guilt. He got so wicked that his servants came and killed him. Now, Josiah, as an eight-year-old, may have witnessed it, the murder of his father. At the very least, he may have seen the body carried out. He may have seen blood on the floor. You remember how impressionable, beloved, you were at eight years old? I'm dating myself again. Probably the most famous Christian song in the late 1980s was called Thank You. Anyone remember? Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am alive. that was changed. And then one of the lines from that song, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. You've heard the statistic too. 85% of everyone who gets saved, who gets saved between the ages of five and 14. What's right in the middle there? Right around the middle is age eight. So here he is at such an impressionable age, and all of this happens to him. And then I wanted to use this object lesson, but I think I have a few too many. But I wanted to have a bubbling jar like I do use for another message of, of dirty water, bubbling, festering sin. And basically, then I was going to have Josiah on a chain and drop him right in the middle of the water. What well, was that symbol? He, he was born in, in a cesspool of idolatry. It was everywhere on the high hills, outside the city, in the city, in the palace, for sure, given who his dad was. And in the temple. But watch, it says, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. How did he do it? By walking in the ways of his father David. But David wasn't his father, Gert, you just say I'm, right. You say, when you don't have a father or a mother who's godly that you can look up to and imitate them, God will always provide someone. Someone I can't there are certain men in the kingdom of God that I I just want to be like. And I look up to them, and I'll never forget, this was one time at, Rick, at, at Elam, there was a big conference going on, and somebody was on the platform who was really teaching stuff like, mm. and, uh, and so I was watching Brother Joe. I was just watching him like a hawk, like, I wonder what Brother Joe's thinking about this. He's got to be having trouble with this too. So I watched my mentor. I watched my father. I, I adopted him as my dad, though he didn't ask to, you know, but it's too bad, he's mine. And so, But, but that's what God will give you people in your life to care for you. And that's what happened to Josiah. He walked in the ways of David, his father, his ancestor. That's how he pleased the Lord, by walking in the ways of another person. Wait a minute, Gertie, wait a minute, let's stop here. Second, Second Samuel, chapter, Samuel chapter 11, uh, David took another man's wife, committed adultery with her, impregnated her, tried to get her husband drunk so that her husband would go and, and be with her so everyone would think it was his child. And then when that didn't work, what did he do? He told his kinsman, Joab, put Uriah at the hottest, hottest part of the battle where it's most dangerous. Pull your men back so he gets killed. This is David, a man that God said he's after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do, Acts 13, 22. So how in the world, how in the world could that be the model that Josiah tried to be like, that he was pleased the Lord? Here's why. David's sins were very egregious. Horrible. Listen to this one. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, he numbered the men of Israel, which was a great sin because it was showing he was trusting in his numbers instead of the Lord. 70,000 of his Israelites were slain by the angel of the Lord because of his sin. 70,000! And David's the model that he looks up to? You know why? David messed up a lot. Like, you, me, he knew how to repent. And here's the other thing David was never guilty of despite his many serious sins. Unlike his son Solomon, David was never guilty of idolatry, ever. So he had his God whom he loved as a, as a boy, as a shepherd, as a, harp, a composer. He had his God whom he sinned and grieved against and angered you see he had a God that he repented in front of he had a God who he knew he was the shepherd and he had a God that he never forsook he never did like Solomon did it said Solomon's many wives led Solomon's heart after their gods David was never guilty of idolatry Wow! so Josiah was pleasing to the Lord he walked in the ways of his father David stage number one a kid or a teen what do I do to please the Lord you walk in the ways of whoever is over you, whoever food you're eating, utilities you're using, who puts food on your back, whatever. That's how you please the Lord. Children, honor, the, honor your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's the first commandment with promise. That's how you please him. Oh, well, you don't know my parents. My dad was an alcoholic my whole life. A white-collar one. And, um, you know, um, be honest with you, it wasn't the horror stories where sometimes... That happens, and you know, uh, the, when the father drinks, like, he gets very ugly and mean, and that was just the opposite. Dad was so much fun to be around when he was drinking. It was just the way it was, and so he was nicer, and not that he was an ogre or anything, but, but hey, so, but God gives you other fathers. Give you, I loved him, honored him till the day he died, uh, but it was just, I had to walk in the ways of someone else. And he loved us, don't get me wrong. Walked in the ways of another person, of David his father. Now watch. There's a principle there in Scripture, and it's mind-blowing when I first saw it. Joseph, remember when Jacob said, Joseph! Yes, Father? I want you to go check on your brothers. Was Joseph excited to do that? How did his brothers feel about him? They hated him. Dad, you know how they feel about me? I'm sorry, I just can't. All it says in the NIV is that Joseph said very well. He knew they hated him. And dad, here's the other thing why I'm going to do this for you. Is that, you know, I just have this hunch that, you know, the brothers are really going to treat me bad. They're going to throw me in that pit. Some of the midnight traders are going to take me to Egypt. But sooner or later, I'm going to come out on this and become the second most powerful man in the world. Okay, dad, I'll do it. Did Joseph have any idea? None. All he did was do what his father told him. And he became the second most powerful man in the world. And God used him to save the world from famine. How did he get there, Gert? Divine visitation, Angela. Tele- no, he did what his dad told him to do. Whose sheep were, were, was Moses watching when he saw the burning bush? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Jethro's, his father-in-law's, he was watching his father-in-law's sheep. What else? Gideon, he was threshing wheat in whose wine press? His father's. He was doing it for his dad. That's glorious. He had to do it in a wine press. Of course, hiding it from the Midianites, what happened? He was doing a chore that obviously his dad told him to do. Dad, I really am not into that, but okay, you know what? I think an angel of the Lord is gonna appear to me, so okay, I'll go do it. No idea! He just did that menial chore, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord comes. Hello, mighty man of valor. What about Saul, son of Kish, remember? Saul, yes, father? We've lost some donkeys, my son. I need you to go look for them. Take a servant with you. Yes, Father. Isn't that glamorous? Going to look for donkeys that kick and bite and smell. You know what, Dad? I really am not into this with donkeys. And, uh, but you know what? I have this hunch that the number one prophet in, in, in Israel, Samuel, is going to anoint me be the first king of Israel. I'll do it, Dad. Any idea? No. All he did was go to look for donkeys and God ushered him into his destiny. Another one. There are so many. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, David! Yes, Father? I want you to go check on your brothers. I'm concerned about them fighting the Philistines. What did David Dad, you know how Eliab feels about me. He's always picking on me, always criticizing me, Dad. Always questioning my motives. I can't, Dad. Send a servant. Any attitude from David? None! Did David think this. I really am not into this, Dad, but you know what? <sighs> Something tells me I'm going to kill a giant today, and they'll talk about me, you know, till the world ends. Every Sunday school class. Okay, I'll do it. No idea. David goes there, takes groceries, basically provisions for his brothers, because his dad asked him to, and he was ushered into greatness. Queen Esther, Mordecai was her cousin, but he was like a father figure, a father to her. And what did he tell her when Haman was trying to kill the Jews? And he said, you must entreat the king. You must go to Ahas- Ahasuerus or King Xerxes and entreat him. But, but my uncle, if, if I go to the king and he hasn't held out the golden scepter, it's death. And what did he say to her in 414? He said that perhaps you have been born into royalty for such a time as this. Spirit of God enables her, gives, him, gives, him, gives her his faith. And she, what does she do? She approaches, saves the nation. All she did was do what Mordecai said. Who's this? I'm holding next to my face for a reason. Take a guess. My dad. He was the director of the computer center for the University of Pennsylvania when we were kids. He had six kids. And we moved to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which was a suburb outside of Philly. And we, Dad had to. All the houses in the development were brand new, but Dad had to customize ours because he had six kids. So anyway, brand new home, and we were there. And Dad had a great job. And then in 1972, my uncle came from Missouri, from the middle of nowhere, and he said, "Asked Dad, his older brother, would you be my partner in my mountain and beach resort?" Dad left the University of Pennsylvania. He sold our house, and I and my three younger sisters went to Missouri. Why? Because Dad said to. Dad said to. My older brother and sister stayed back east because they were older and in college, whatever. But, so we go to Missouri. and after, We tried to run the place for two years. But, um, and it, We moved into the basement of a liquor store that had cinder block walls. Dad sent me out there earlier uh, before he and the, my sister's mom came. And I painted it, and there were scorpions in it. I stepped on one. Praise the Lord, it didn't sting me. But that's what we moved into from a brand new five-bedroom house in Charlie Hill. We moved to the basement of a liquor store. Two years later, the, the Mountain and Beach Resort went down. It was a financial disaster. Dad lost everything. Here's what happened. 18 years old, just about to graduate high school. I went to a Catholic high school retreat for high school boys. That's one thing I didn't like about it. There were only boys there. But it was <laughs> junior and senior high school boys. And I didn't go because I was looking for Jesus. You know, I just, You know, all I cared about were girls, sports, and cars, or music, and that was about it. But you see, I went there just to do something different, so I thought. And so I was, I was even looking at the girls serving food in the cafeteria. Yeah, I was very <laughs> spiritual. And so, but after one meeting, the spirit of the God, God came in that room, and I was like, I was blown away, and I'll just never forget it. I just, well, whatever, God's here. And so when we went to leave the meeting, um, I stopped at the entrance of the hallway that led to the cafeteria, and something stopped me, and I just turned around and went back into the chapel. Stared at the crucifix, which is a cross with a statue of Jesus on it. Didn't, didn't have a Bible, didn't know the sinner's prayer, didn't know Jesus loves me, didn't know John three sixteen. I knew nothing. But all of a sudden the Spirit of God came on me and convicted me of sin. And I started to cry with sadness. Now I know it was the, you know, the Spirit of God, the goodness of God leading me to repentance. And so I don't know how long, uh, it was like scales dropped from my eyes and I was filled with such love for God and joy Uh, I couldn't explain it theologically, but I knew I had met God, you see? So I say that to say this, all right, Dad, I really am into my friends here at Cherry Hill, and, you know, I played football in high school at Cherry Hill, and they don't have a football team in Missouri, you know, whatever the attitude I had. But you know what, Dad? You know, I think two years after we get there, I'm going to have a real big encounter with the Lord in a convent. This happened in a convent, by the way. In case some of you don't know what a convent is, we're retired. These nuns live there, all right? But I got saved, and as far as I know, no one that I know of on my dad or my mother's side of the family were ever saved, that I know of. So here, it was a disaster for the family, but the Lord apprehends Michael, and then other siblings and family members started getting saved. And all it was is, okay, Dad, we're going to Missouri, because Dad said to. So you see the principle? He pleased the Lord by walking in the ways of his father, David. Now, here's stage, that's phase number one. Many, many kids and teens stop at phase one. They have no choice. You have to be in stage one. But here's what happened. This is the most golden key of the whole thing of Josiah's life and everyone's life spiritually. It says, this is stage two. It says when Josiah was eight years, or forgive me, in the eighth year of his reign, how old was he? 16, very good. And I'm going to get teens mad at me. But the, but, the, but the text, different Bible versions say this. When he was still a boy, Hey, what are you calling me 16 you're a boy for? <laughs> well, when you get my age, yeah, you're about, about right. You know? A boy, some say while well, he's still a youth, and the Hebrew word can be an infant to a teenager. But we know, of course, from the math, he was 16. So when he was still a youth, when he was still a boy, it says, he began to. In other words, up to that point, he had not been. He basically was just under his mentors, his tutors, following the ways of his father, David, just whatever, you know, those ways were proper and right in the Jewish religion. But it says, he began to seek the God of his fathers. There's got to come a time when a kid and a teenager, they seek their parents' God for themselves. It says he began to seek the God of his fathers. Now, You need one of these when you wanna seek the Lord. Sickle? Yes, the Hebrew word there when it says he goes to seek, some Bible versions, the English version says, he goes, he went to look for, he went to search for. I'm going to find God. What's the sickle for, Gertie? It's because the Hebrew word there literally when it says he went to seek God, the, the, the word literally means tread. And the second biggest meaning it means is frequent. Let's put them together, tread frequently. Yep, oh, well, let's see, November 29th's coming. That's my one time a year I go seek the Lord big time. No, 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 no. You're not seeking God, if that's your attitude. Tread frequently. Tread frequently. And how many of you know, and how do paths and woods get there? Naturally. No, either animals or human beings walk that way a lot. That's why you have a path. If they don't walk there, what grows? Weeds, thorns, underbrush. Sticky bushes. So he says, Josiah frequented, he treaded frequently the face of God. Why do you need to sickle for? Because how many of you know when you have a desire to go seek the Lord when he's calling you? And all the things that pop up both around you. Somebody will text you or there's a real show you want to watch. Or just inside of you, something comes up in your heart or in your mind and you don't do it. Guilty. That's why you have to have the sickle. Remember the soil of the thorns? It says that the thorns grew up inside with the, the, the seed. The same heart was growing them both. And the thorns choked the seed. So when you have go to seek the Lord, you've got to frequent it and take the sickle and kill these desires that want to distract you and pull you down. Now, this is what happens when he went to seek the Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. You can't get close to a fire and not get hot, or it's a fake fire. I have a fake one. I didn't bring it this time. But you see, when you get close to the consuming fire, you get ignited. Have you noticed the Lord's contagious? You get near Him, things happen. Yeah, you can't hold a nuclear reactor and not glow. You can't grab a two twenty volt line and not shake. And that's exactly what happened. So for four years, we have no idea what was going on in Josiah's life. It's like the scriptures say, he went to seek the Lord. And for four years, the scriptures record nothing. But you see, uh, what do they call those people in New York State who are supposed to come after you if you skip school? Truant officer. officer. You see, you're in trouble if you don't go to high school. You don't go to high school in New York State. But here's the thing. He went to most high school. Most high school. It's optional. No one will make you go if you don't go. It's up to you. He began to seek the God of his fathers. He enrolled in most high school for four years. Here's a beautiful thing that happens when God's fire gets around you as you're seeking his face. You're immersing your mind in, in the text. You're waiting on him. And you, you know, your heart gets aflamed. We're not our hearts burning within us as he opened unto us the scriptures? Luke 24, 32. Then this is what happens next, beloved. When that happens, this happens. Rubber heart. You begin as you pre- pre- are in God's presence like that. And in the text with the spirit of God, all of a sudden the layers of fat spiritual deadness around your heart start to drop off. Have you noticed that when you've been with the Lord like that? All of a sudden, see, when the the scripture says that their hearts became calloused or or hard, the literal Hebrew is they they became fat. You 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 have layers of insensitivity that just naturally grow around your heart because you have flesh. So you start to lose your desire to see people saved. You lose your zeal and hunger for God. You lose your desire to pray anymore. Why? Fat grows up around if you don't stay near the fire. So what happened to Josiah? We know that as he was beholding the consuming fire and with him for four years, we know that the fat was dropping off. Now, how do we know that Josiah graduated from most high school? He got the white cap with a tassel and he flipped it. How do you know? Here's the next stage. Stage number one. He did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord by walking in the ways of another person. Stage number two, in the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the God of his fathers. Here's here's how you know if you've graduated. Gert, how do I know if if I'm in most high school, if I'm really making connection with the Lord of heaven and earth? Here's how you know. And it's not just a a, a devotional ritual or a religious ceremony. Well, I got in my 15 today. That's not seeking God. That's punching the clock. I got my chapter in. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Dry and Boring. That's not how you go to seek the most high. How do we know he graduated? It says in the 12th year of his reign when he was 20. Okay. Isn't it wonderful to see a young person use their teen years to go to most high school? Here's how we know he graduated. He began to purge the land of high places. Stage one, parents. Stage two, pursuit. Seek the God of your father. Stage three, purge. High places. Great brass duck, we sing praise to you, our creator, our sustainer, our provider. Shiny brass duck, beautiful brass duck. We think the people in the Old Testament are so stupid for bowing down to idols of brass and wood and stone. Beloved, you will become so sensitive. Have you been with the most high for four years, so to speak, in the consuming fire, that you have high places too. Things that you behold, that you talk about, that you lift higher than they should be. What's a high place, Kurt? Anything that you put a priority above the things of the Lord. That's a high place. It can be anything. Anything. The devil doesn't care. Your flesh doesn't care as long as it's not God and his kingdom and the gospel. He's happy. You just take your pick. All kinds of high places. Teens, don't laugh. I know it's old. Oh, that's a big high place. That's a big one. I've seen tons of kids, including some of my grandchildren who seem to be more obsessed and excited about video games than... Come on! Now, before I pull out these other two, ladies, this is, a high, this is a high place, too. Of course, I don't like the shop. But here's another one. This is a major, massive high place that I have seen uh, countless young people and older people miss the destiny of God, the call of God, Uh, the the moves of God, the drawing of God, the plan of God, because they put a human being above him. What did Jesus say? Anyone who wants to follow after me has to hate his mother and father, family members, compared to their love for him and how many people have out... The Spirit of the Lord is moving in a meeting, in a youth group meeting. He's moving so powerfully. And I, see, I know, you see the teens just like worried about what the person next to them thinking. That person's a high place, you see. Now, the devil knows that he cannot steal you from Jesus. He knows it. He knows John chapter 10. Jesus said what? But my sheep know my voice. They follow me. Remember? And he said, they won't follow the voice of a stranger. And then he goes, and no one can take them out of my hand. His hand's got a hole in it, but not so big you'd fall through. The hole in it is what keeps you in his hand. He's not letting go of someone he died for. You see, so he's got you. But then what does he say? Jesus doesn't stop there. Then he goes, my father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one takes them from my father's hand. So the devil knows he can't take you from Jesus but he can steal your affections. And he does it all the time. He can't steal God's people, but he steals their affections. And you know what? When he he has your affection, he has your direction. You don't do much for the Lord when your affections are toward the things of the world. Devil's happy. And here's how he does it. Celebrities. A major high place. I can't stand it. Uh, It just drives me crazy when I see Christians, you know, and they're just adulating and... Uh, You know, whether it can be an athlete, a movie star, a singer, you name it, any kind of person, and they're talking and more excited and defensive of them and wearing their t shirt and advertising, witnessing for them than the Lord of Hosts. I'm telling you. And guess who's behind them? See, the devil's not stupid, beloved. He knows you'll never worship him directly. So how's he going to steal your devotion, your adulation, your, your, and make these people a high place? He has to hide behind them. And of course, they don't know it. They're being used, you see? And they're taking all the spotlight to themselves. And the Lord looks at these people as a black sponge, just sucking in all the praise and worship and attention and affection and emotions of God's people that should go to him. That's how the devil does it. It's a high place. And it's the biggest way that he does it is through other people. High places. Now, Gert, how do I know if something is a high place? What are some indicators if something in my life is not in the right priority that it should be as far as it's higher than, than, than loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, going and preaching the gospel, uh, seeing the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do I know if something is taking precedent over that? Well, one of the main reasons you can tell is, I had to modify this because it broke. Hang on. It's going to break again if I don't do this. What do you find in your free time when you don't have to think about things, you know, for school or work or whatever that your mind's racing about that excites you and you just can't stop thinking about it and it has nothing to do with God and eternity? It's probably a high place. As a man thinks in his thoughts, so he is. Thoughts can be, I know we have to re- think of other things. I understand that. This is a big one. How do I know, Gert, if something maybe is the high place in my life? Jesus says that whatever fills your heart comes out of your mouth. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Matthew 12, verse 34. Whatever fills your heart with desire and intensity and passion, it's going to come out of your mouth. It's a major indicator if something's a high place or not. This is the one that got me. My favorite team, sports team. Since I was a kid, tied with another one for a while. But um, if if they won, and especially if they beat their rival, this was Gertie. Happy, 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 joy, joy. If they lost, and especially if they lost to their rival, I was like this, I was a mess, a mess. This is when God started coming after me. And this is, I believe, what this message was born out of, is that I didn't care if they lost every game of the season as long as they beat their rival. I'm saying I was an idiot, but you see, the Lord really spoke to my heart one day, Michael. That activity, that sport, that team, is controlling your emotions, not my spirit. Isn't the spirit of God is supposed to be the one who controls our emotions? And I, it, it gets worse, beloved. I, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but anything—if I can help you—I um, took my daughter um, to a game, of my team was playing her favorite team, and so we're—you know—I can't show you this yet. And so, you know, they're playing each other. One guy down there, a fan of the other team, was just, you know, I don't know if he was drinking or whatever, but he was boasting and bragging and mouthy, so to speak. Something like that. Anyway, so right after he was just bragging on his team, our tailback went for an end of round or something for 35 yards. I just stood up and said, You were saying <laughs> very stupid to say. He goes, This is what he did. He said, check the score point. I wanted to beat this guy's head in. This was me. I honestly did, I'm ashamed to tell you that. I wanted to go down there and just beat his head in. An image bearer of God, and I wanted to punch his head in because his, his team in a uniform, running up and down a field with a piece of leather, did better than my team. And I wanted to inflict bodily harm on this guy. Did Gertie have a high place? A very serious high place. And this is what the Lord came after me about, your emotions are out of control. Michael. It's a bunch of men running up and down a field with a piece of leather. And look at you. You you want to kill this image bearer in your heart. Isn't that what Jesus said? I I, I couldn't believe it. That's a very big indicator that something is a high place. This is another one. Vice grips, how possessive you are of something can be a major indicator if it has a priority that's higher than God. If you're possessive of it, that's what the vice grips stand, stand for. Another thing. This can reveal a lot. How much money do you spend on something? I know we have to spend money. I get it. And money's a gift from the Lord. I get it. But I am just saying these are can be indicators if something's too important in your life, looking at how much money. And how much money do you give to the missions offer? Oh, buck ten, dollar ten. How am I doing? Not good. When you consider these are all indicators of high places. Now, here's this is the one I don't want to tell you, but you'll notice, you'll notice that the longer a high places in your life, um, the stronger it gets. And I'm I I just am sh- ashamed to tell you this, but I'm I'm gonna because it's fresh and it hurts. Two weekends ago, I was at a family member's wedding, and they just dis- the ma- the wedding couple decided to have in the reception hall two big giant TV screens, and guess what they were playing? NFL game. And guess who was playing? my favorite team, and their rival. (laughs) And here I have preached this message, poured over it, studied it, meditated it, prayed over it for two decades in various locations of the kingdom of God. And I thought, oh, God, I'm free. I'm good now. I I am so ashamed of myself. I got so into it. And I I was like, I just couldn't not watch because I can't stand this team, their rival. And it's ridiculous. None of them ever did anything bad to me. But it's like... I, it, see what happens with an idol? You take the idol to yourself and you identify with it. Your idol becomes you. And then their enemies become your enemies. It's ridiculous. And it's very much part of human, human nature. So here I was, good grief. Um, it, was, it was terrible. And so then it looked like this team was going to sneak a win at the end. And I was like, I was getting angry. And, you know, I just try not to look at it and try and interact with relatives and stuff. And, just kept looking at it. This was happening in a very real way, and I'm ashamed to tell you. And so here I am coming to preach this message to you, two weeks later, and um, I had to go in the hallway next to the reception hall. Father, please forgive me, Lord, I can't, I, I'm so sorry, Lord. Help me, Lord, help me, because it was that powerful in your life, in my life. And what happens to us, to us beloved, if we don't deal with them, is that they don't only really become a magnetic thing, don't they become this? Well, they do! And I, I, I will confess right now, I, I'm sure I'm not free yet. And like I said, I've been dealing with this for 20 plus years. But you see, this is what happens. If you wonder if something's a high place in your life, try not to think about it, or try not to do it, and see how you do inside. I just could not believe the pull went, uh, you, know, uh, uh, they, you know. and I, I, was, I was an absolute mess. And so, but I'm telling you, these are more powerful than you realize. It makes your flesh very happy, and the evil one happy, because look at how last. When's the last time you saw Gertie that obsessed with the Lord and the gospel and the kingdom of God and seeing souls saved like he is in this game right now? And I'm just, I'm just confessing to you. Now, very quickly, um, where's the origin of idolatry in the universe? Right here. Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. Remember, it says, you were adorned with precious stones and you were perfect in wisdom and beauty, Uh, talking about the evil one. Of course, the king of Tyre in the context immediately, but it has to be talking about the evil one. And then it's, you were perfect and you were righteous in all your ways until iniquity was found in you. So that's what happened in Ezekiel chapter 28. Cut Ezekiel 28 in half, you get Isaiah 14. Then what happens? Remember what he said? I will ascend to the heavens. I will put my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly. I will be like the most high God. Remember? He wanted to be God. He was envious. James 3 chapter 3, where it says that he was envy of the Lord and the accolades and the worship he was getting. And he got bitter and he got jealous and he got envious. He wanted worship. Can you prove that some Morgart? Sure I can. Luke chapter 4, verse 7. What does it say when he came to Jesus in the wilderness? The evil one? What did he say? All of these kingdoms have been given to me, to give to whomever I decide. They can all be yours, Jesus, if you'll worship me. Do you see, beloved? He craves worship. He craves it. He's sick. He craves it. And he knows even most pagans will not worship him directly. How does he get it again? Behind people. Behind people. That's how we get it. Where's the second source of idolatry? I said earlier, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. This is Remember, I've used this in other messages where this is what a human being looks like on the inside. If you're a Christian, this is what you look like on the inside. Here's your new man, spirit of God within you, born again, regenerated, all things have become new. Yet, we all know, every Christian in the room knows, despite that, we still have the residual flesh that we fight every single day. Amen? Hallelujah. We have power over it by the Spirit of God and faith and the Word of God. But for a pagan, this is all they have. I know that in my flesh it doesn't live one good thing, Romans seven eighteen. So guess what? One of the fruits or evidences or works of the fallen human nature, by default, Galatians 5, 20, is Idolatry. Idolatry. Your flesh loves idols. It loves anything or anyone but him. Loves. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory. It will create anything it can that you let it. That's where it comes from. All right. So, Michael, how, how, how did this happen to me? Gert you're hitting me you're hitting me and I didn't come here to hurt you, but I came here. I like a scalpel Hopefully with honey on it because God is jealous people. His name is jealous He's jealous over you Did I even talk about the temple like I did the first service? I don't think I did is that the Lord the temple I'm, so sorry. I don't know how I missed it. This is important to understand high places Again, I don't know how much time we have three or four Next to heaven itself, the greatest display of the, of the resplendent glory of God, that's his shining greatness, was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Next to heaven itself, that's where God displayed his radiant glory the most. And how do you know? Because on, there's only one God. He only had one son. He only sent him to one planet. He only died once. Oh, Gertie, what about aliens and UFOs? We got to do something. No, you don't. No, 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 God doesn't care. There's only one thing he's into his son on earth, and what you do with him. That's all that God said. No, we need to study and, you know, do something. No, you don't. No, you don't. God's not concerned. He's considered right here. And so his glory on earth, this is where God's heart was. What did God tell Moses? And I'll go as quickly as I can. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, when he's telling Moses about building the tent, build a sanctuary for me, verse 8, that I might dwell among you. And verse 25 says, verse 22, forgive me, it says, and he told Moses, and I will meet with you there and I will speak to you. And then it says in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 3, that the Lord told Solomon, I will put my name here. Remember, the Lord's name is not just his name, it's who he is. I will put who I am in this tabernacle, in this temple, in my people. And this is what the Lord says in 1 Kings 9.3. It also says, and my eyes and my heart will be there forever. That's his plan for you. Who's the temple of God now? We are. My eyes and my heart will be there forever. I will meet with you there. I will dwell among you. I will speak to you. Here's what Israel did. I wish a camera could catch this. It's pretty hideous looking. But this is what Israel was doing. They were taking idols and putting them in the house of God. This is why we study the Old Testament and learn from their examples because it's exactly what we do with high places. Exactly what we're doing the same thing. How did, he, how did this get into me, Michael? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, we're almost done. You're being, well, we're not really. Well, I'm going to do, we're fast as I can. The eyes, the eye, Jesus said, is the lamp of the soul. Your eye is like the doorway. It's like the filter, the discerner. Whatever your eye goes to, it depends on how you use them, what happens to the rest of you. And Jesus said, if your eye is simple and single and clear, your whole body is clear, why? Because the eye set the course for what happens in the body. The devil knows that. That's why he was always holding things that are pleasing to the eye. Remember why Eve ate the fruit? Pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So that, look at that, listen to that. He knows the gateways to your soul, your eyes and your ears. So what happens? It only takes a few seconds, doesn't it? And what happens? Then it's in your thoughts. The battleground. If you don't do anything with it, where does it go? It goes in your heart, and it becomes a passion, and then has to express itself through the body. But where did it start? Eyes, ears, brain, heart, body. The, the team that I liked in addition to my other team that I, I really idolized and I had the same condition with them years ago when I was a kid, uh, the only reason I started to like them was the color of their uniforms. That's the only reason. I thought they're really cool looking. And I took them to myself and that team, I identified with them. They became an idol. You see how easy it is? This is how it, This is how the process happens. What's the cure, Michael? You've shown us. The disease, is there a cure? There's a cure, there's a cure. There was a man named Thomas Chalmers and he preached one of the most powerful, uh, famous sermons I guess in all of Christendom. He was born in I think 1847 and it was called the expulsive power. Anyone have been expelled from school before? I wanna make sure you understand the word expulsive, expelled, the expelling power of a higher affection. How, Michael, if, see, if somebody tells you to give up your idol and your high place, you can do it while they told me to and I feel condemned about it, but you still love it. That doesn't get it out. This is what Chalmers was on The way that you get the desire and the bondages of these things out of your life is you fill your life with a higher affection. And there's only one power that can push those out. The word of God coupled with the spirit of God. Only way. How do we do it, Michael? Show me how to do it. I got these things in my life, I get it. I'm identifying with you and the things that you've had to deal with and I'm still not free yet. I'm not, I confess, not delivered yet. You go to the text of scripture. It's powerful. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23, my bones are shaking. I'm reeling like a drunken man. Why Jeremiah? Why, Jeremiah? Because of the Lord and his holy words. The word of God is living and active and powerful than any two-edged sword. Amen. Every single, like we said earlier, right? Every dot of every I and every cross of every t- every T is inspired by the Spirit of God. So you go to it with a reverent hand. You know how many people are going to the scriptures constantly every single day uh, and tearing the pieces and... F- Twisting them and torturing them, as the, as the Greek means, in 2 Timothy 3:16, to make it what say what they want it to say. They do so. Peter said to their own damnation, "You go to that, you're in trouble. You're dead." So you don't. How do I rightly divide the word of tr- truth, Michael? Here's how. You let it rightly divide you. I don't. You don't get to judge it. You let it do what it does. Charles Spurgeon said, the, "The word of God is like a lion. Just let it out, and it'll do what it, lions do." So we go to it like we're looking for a precious jewel. Now, what are we waiting for? We know the author of the text, Holy Spirit. The only thing in all the history that's God breathed, every single dot, every single T. Spirit of God inspired 40 different men over a period of about 1,500 years. So now what are you doing when you go to the text? I want the one who inspired the authors to write it down to now I need understanding. Because you how many perverts and weirdos and sick people have gone to the text and created cults and hurt people? They didn't have his understanding, and they didn't want it. So what happens when this happens? When he comes and opens your mind, and how many of you have read a verse 10 times, and on the 11th time, whoa, I never saw that before. How many? And many people think I got a revelation. No, you didn't get a revelation. We already have the revelation. What you did get? An illumination. The Spirit of God illuminated the revelation. I got illumination. All right. So what happened? What happened? And you know what happens? How many when how many do when that has happened to you? You're all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Now, here's what you saw. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four says, The devil, he blinds the minds of unbelievers that they might not see the light of the gospel well the gospel what is it the gospel is a collection of words right it's a message they might not see the light of the gospel of what the glories of christ you saw jesus when the holy spirit illuminated the text to you the glories of christ that's his perfections i like to use this light the glories of christ the colors speak of the beauty of holiness you saw things about jesus that you hadn't seen before You know, just and you know he's multifaceted. Where do you start? Where do you end? You can't. But you see, when the Spirit of God illuminates the text and you see Jesus in the scriptures, this is what happens next. When you were going, whoa! This is what happens. Can you see it from there? It's a fountain. What do you mean? Like when you saw Jesus in the illuminated text and you're beholding his glory through the written words, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, you're worshiping whoever believes in me from the deepest part of his being shall flow rivers of living water. When this happens, who cares about that? It's only when this does happen, when the multifaceted word of God and all the things it does to you, it woos you, it draws you, it comforts you, gives you hope, strength, faith, it cuts you, convicts you, it's working in you because the spirit of God illuminated it then what happens? This is the cure. You're getting a higher affection. When that happens, it's impossible not for this to happen. What's that? You go nuclear. This is my nuclear reactor. It's impossible. If this happens, all the rest happen automatically, like a domino effect. And all the, What do you mean go nuclear, Gert? Well, in minutes, in a matter of minutes, you have a faith and a boldness and a confidence and a strength and authority you didn't have minutes before when this happened. Then what happens? Then what happens? Then this happens. Fire of God is in you. Then you start to hate those things that you idolized and loved. And spiritually, you pick up the ax just like Josiah did. Here's, it says that he began to cut down the Asherah poles. Uh, They're too vile to even talk about, though I mentioned them in the first service. Asherah pole was just, they were addicted to sexuality. And so it was like a pillar or a pole and had all these symbols of fertility and reproductive uh, processes, if you will, whatever, that symbolize that. And so what happens though is that Josiah just started. Did he decide to get on fire for God one day? No, it came from this. Or he never would have done it. And that's how it happens in you. All of a sudden, the things that you loved and adored and you were in bondage to, you hate them. You hate them because they robbed you. High places sap adoration. Now here's the thing, here's the secret. The longer you adore, the stronger you abhor. Think about it, the more you're in his text and in his presence and to take your time and just let him work on you and move on you. The more you see how evil these things are that stole his place in your heart. The longer you adore, the stronger you abhor. Jesus, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Dear Jesus, I thank you, thank you, thank you for this church family. And stage four. It says, under his direction, this is verse 4, stage 4 of this four-step process. Under his direction, guess what he did? He led others in tearing down idols too. You will become a leader. But it all depends on stage 2. When he was still young, he began to seek the God of his fathers. Jesus, I ask you, your precious Holy Spirit, that, Lord, he would do his precious work In your jealous love for your people, Lord, you'd bring to mind, Lord, I'm sure you have already, Jesus, high places in your people's lives that compete in their hearts for affection for you. Go after them, Lord. Remember, his jealousy is your security. His jealousy comes from his love. You should worry if he doesn't come after your high places. His jealousy is your security. Do your work, Holy Spirit. You might be sensing something come into your mind. Might be more than one thing. I know I had more than one. Maybe you just want to express it to the Lord. Cup your hands. Here it is, Father. Here it is. You see, it's it's a whammy, beloved. That thing took up so much room in your heart that could have been filled with God. So it not only is bad for you, but it also robs you of more capacity to hold more of God. It just gets you both ways. That's why we got to deal with this stuff. High places, they're one of the biggest cripplers of God's kingdom being expanded because they're in God's people's hearts. That's why it impedes the growth of the kingdom of God because they do so much damage. So Lord, come, come upon us, Lord. Touch your precious people, Jesus. You can deal with us, Lord, because you chose us. Thank you, Lord. We belong to you. Pastor Rick.
1: Let's keep our heads bowed this morning. What a great message. What a powerful reminder of how we need to keep ourselves consecrated to the things of the Lord You know, to know what the right thing to do is and to choose to do the wrong thing makes us fools. So, Father, we repent, Lord God, of the foolishness of our youth, the foolishness of our stubborn hearts, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would choose to please you, that we would follow the the models that you've given us, the godly men, the godly influences and Father, we would choose to please you rather than to please ourselves, Father, and that we would pursue you, each one of us. My prayer for each one in this congregation is that each one of us would have a personal daily pursuit of you. Father, it's only our love for the word and time in your presence and communing with you that shatters idols. So, Father, give us a hunger and thirst for you. Father, let the things of this world grow strangely dim for each of us. God, I lift the young people to you. The world tries to seduce them with every lie, to steal from them their time, their youth, and their strength. God, break the chains on us as a people, as a nation that we would turn from our idols, Lord God, that we would turn to the word. I pray that each one of us would have a daily pursuit of you that would starve those high places to the point where the ax would be laid at the root. God, do a work in us. Our hearts are broken before you today. So change us from the inside out, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise today. (laughs) We bless you, Lord.